How's it going, everybody? I'm Jordan Pacheco. And I'm Rudy Carlos. This is the Glad Trad Podcast, and we're going to hop right off into it. Um, Rudy, you broke the news to me this morning, but it appears that really? Pope Benedict... Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I was just chilling, minding my business, when you had to give me the worst news of the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pope Benedict, man. <laughs> Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, just Joseph Ratzinger when he was born to the world, 95 years old, but finally uh, he has, he has uh, died. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. Uh, I've been on vacation for the past week, but, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things that I, I kind of tuned in for. I, I looked into uh, what was going on at work and they were talking about Pope Benedict being really sick. He'd been sick for kind of a long time now, but it seemed like he was having some sort of kidney failure. And I thought to myself, wow, like this, this is probably the end. And sure enough, this morning... He passed on to his eternal reward or punishment. Who knows? Uh, it's never, never good to assume. But uh, you know, I, I think he probably died in the state of grace. It's pretty safe to assume that, right? Yeah, I, I think. Isn't it funny? I Pope Benedict has been. I think I think it's fair to say, right, that he was pope for the, the vast majority of our lives thus far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of incredible because I remember. I remember a little bit of when he was first elected. I remember the funeral of John Paul II. Um, seeing that on TV a little bit when I was little, and then kind of hearing that we have this new pope. And then I remember in the proto internet there were these Emperor Palpatine memes uh, oh, somewhere yeah. out there. You know? <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> um, but the the first time I ever thought of Benedict qua Benedict was, of course, when he made the revisions in the Novus Ordo that puts it much more back as a mm. translation in Latin, right? I remember going to Mass and for the first time doing the mea culpa and actually pounding pounding your chest. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why? And then now, right, fast forward to bad, mad, rad, trad, Jordan and Rudy. And I'm like, oh, there was just a little bit of sanity being fixed here. Um, yeah, I grew up in a very like reform of the reform kind of apologist that I listened to and that sort of stuff. And a lot of that was attributed to to Benedict and, and, and his pontificate. So it's kind of crazy how I think that a lot of my shaping happening under Benedict is a good reason, not just more pontificum, but just how he was as pope are, are some of the reasons directly of why I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I was thinking about this, you know, uh, as I was, I was getting ready for the day, shower thought, I was thinking, you know, there's going to be people out there that are going to just completely trash his legacy, you know, his involvement in the second Vatican council, whether or not he went too far or didn't do very much, uh, you know, all those, all those opinions I think are going to be out there. But aside from that, and I, I don't, you know, I haven't had enough time to process that, but I, I did have enough time to think about what Pope Benedict meant to me. And I, I know he's been formative to you. He's formative to me too. You know, as I was entering into the church back in 2012, just kind of uh, learning more about the faith and completing those sacraments of initiation, um, I, I felt on fire, you know, and, and his writings and his encyclicals, particularly uh, his encyclical, God is Love, were really formative for my my understanding of the faith and and pulling me in to try and and learn a little bit more about Catholicism about what it is that we believe and so he's always going to have a you know a, a, a lasting impact on me because just like you 
that was my entry point into the faith. And uh, it's, uh, it's sad. It's uh, sad to think that, that he's gone now, but uh, I don't know. I can't help but feel like there's, this is just a little, a little piece in the historical puzzle that's still yet to be solved. Right. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, you know, I think, yeah, God is love. I'm pretty sure sitting on my shelf back here. It's the only in, in paper encyclical of him that I have. I read that. That was the first encyclical I ever read. I remember my dad took me to adoration. I'm pretty sure. And it was probably either in a kiosk where he gave it to me. And I just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, flipped through it a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really powerful. Yeah. Um, Benedict, I love how he writes, you know, I mean, I think that he writes clearly this great theological mind and also very clear and, and easy to understand. You know, there's not a mm-hmm. lot of jargon. There's not a lot of word salad or anything. It's, it's beautiful. You can see like the mind of a theologian in real time. Um, and that's part yeah. of the legacy of Benedict. That's really interesting. I know a lot of people, as you kind of said, like, you know, it is every legacy has a mixture of, of good and the bad. Right. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me, especially as a child, like, well, what do you think about John Paul II or this or this? And I'm like, listen, mm-hmm. like, there's yeah. a difference between um, looking at the actions of of men who are popes and and condemning or praising those sort of actions. Um, but then there's another question entirely in doubting their sincerity of, of faith and of belief, you know? And in the case of Pope Benedict, what an amazing life. I mean, to, to be, to, to, be a liberal at the council, essentially, right? To have his interactions with Lefebvre as he had them quite directly, you know, like part of this historical stew as you're talking about. And then I think later to really kind of, you know, he talks very clearly about the messes in liturgy and the message in, in the faith. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, like obviously full on like Lefebvre or anything, but, but I think that a lot of good was done with Pope Benedict, you know, and it's a complicated legacy. Um, But I don't deny the sincerity of the man's faith. I I didn't once for a second think that he was just wearing Catholicism as a coat um, just Mm -hmm. to kind of get his his pension in or something like that, you know, and I feel like it's funny because that's one of the one of the big criticisms for him was uh, I remember this really early on. People would criticize him for wearing traditional vestments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, man, it's so funny. Like, I'm trying to remember when he was elected and all those criticisms. And I do remember that, that the problem that people had with Benedict was that he wasn't going to take the council far enough and that he was he was wearing traditional garments and he thought himself a prince and all this kind of crap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild, man. But, you know, to to continue on that, that little thread of of his legacy, what it means to us. I mean, think about Sumorum Pontificum and how much of an impact that made on so many, so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of Catholics, maybe millions. I'm not sure. I'm not good with numbers. Don't ask me, but, uh, think of, think of that, that impact that Samorum Pontificum had for all of those Catholics who had never experienced the traditional patrimony of the church. It was through Pope Benedict that I even, even got a glimpse of what that really was. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's so funny is I was just thinking this, if you open up probably the vast majority of Baronius press missiles out there um, in the early pages is the entirety of Swarm Pontificum. And mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Like it's, it's extremely clear. It's, it is a complete anti Tricionis custodes. Like it is just a beautiful, loving, and also very direct sort of document. Um, mm-hmm. And it's effect of course, because of how encyclicals and how uh, these sort of things work. Um, um, is going to be debated, of course, throughout history. But I remember reading that, especially when I started going to Latin Mass, I was going, oh my, 
Like the patrimony of the church being unlocked so much so that not only has this thing never been abrogated or aboard, but at the time, uh, a priest could just celebrate it. A priest could look at the needs of his faithful and celebrate it. He doesn't need to worry about his bishop or anything. And so it's funny to me that the criticisms um, of Pope Benedict as this like conservative pope, this idea that, oh, well, the problem is Rome's going to go back to centralization. There was a lot of freedom in that that he gave. And that's directly one of the reasons why the Latin mass was able to come back. It is, it is directly responsible. Um, I think it's going to be one of those greatest moments that go down in the history of the papacy. Now, of course, there were plenty of other things, and it's fair, you know, it's to talk about, well, what was Pope Benedict's relation to Mick Carrick, right? He just he just kind of pushed him off to the side as opposed to have gone the whole gambit. And I've said this about popes. I say this about John Paul II, whose legacy in these regards is obviously uber complicated. Um, good popes or popes that you like aren't always the best administrators. So the question has to always be intent and efficacy and knowledge. And these things, of course, will be debated. That's not our, we don't pass that kind of judgment. Um, yeah, but again, at the heart of it, I think that Benedict truly represented kind of. I think that he really helped a very positive Catholicism post a lot of the craziness. I think he helped write the rudder, you know, swing the pendulum a little bit back, despite the fact that you know he wasn't perfect. And and I think that's very clear. And obviously, the biggest thing is, um, you know, there are people who this day are debating right if he was the, actually the real Pope. Is now the seat uh, set of a contest is. Uh, I think that you and I are, I think we both acknowledge it as far as we're concerned, France is a Pope or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, can a Pope resign these sorts of questions and, and history has given a couple of different answers on this and they're kind of funny, but as far as I'm concerned, um, I feel like it's interesting how quickly we eulogize or like we kind of want immediately want and declared great and doctor of the church or these sorts of things. And I just kind of want to sit with the fact that so much of our Catholicism was just shaped by his reign and so much of what we're dealing with under Pope Francis is directly related to how we felt under Pope Benedict. I feel like Pope Benedict was the last era of good feelings uh, Pope for the last uh, part of the council, you know, for, for the post the council, that the world felt, the Catholic faith felt at least like it wasn't going to be on the precipice of changing or that it didn't feel as under assault as it might do now when it was under Benedict. Yeah, I think so too. Because, you know, I remember the day that, uh, that uh, Pope Francis was elected and he came out onto the loggia. I was home from work uh, during lunchtime and my mom had the TV on, still living at home at the time. And she said, hey, check it out. There's a new Pope. And I remember looking at Pope Francis and thinking, man, what a strange thing, you know, I never considered the fact that uh that uh, pope could resign i had seen the uh, the death of uh, pope john paul ii i mean ever since i was a kid you know every appearance that he made i could tell he was a frail a frail man you know he was uh suffering i didn't know at the time but he was it seemed like he was suffering uh you know for the sake of the church um and then i saw pope francis step out and i remember very clearly that day and just thinking I'm not so sure. It was like a weird, weird gut feeling, you know, mm -hmm. like, hmm, I'm not so sure. And that, that really does speak to the beginning of the, the, the end of the feel good, uh, you know, uh, the feel good era of the church, like you mentioned, because it was pretty clear 
right from the start that uh, some of the things that were being talked about, discussed by the Pope. I, I remember one of the first encyclicals that I read because I, I, I love reading those those documents at the time. I wish I had more time to do it now. Uh, was it was uh, what's the one on the environment? Is it Amoris Laetitia? No, that one's on marriage. Uh, ga- Gaudate, uh, Laudato Si, Laudato Si. Laudato Si, yeah, Laudato Si, thank you, yeah. yeah. Laudato Si came out, and I started reading it, and I was like, this is weird. This is that has nothing to do with anything that I had just read from Pope Benedict. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the confusion. Yeah. That was the beginning. And, and uh, you know, flash forward to so many years, I can't, you know, I can't remember how many years it's been, but I think it's been eight years now. He was elected in 2015, so that uh, yeah, pretty much eight. I years think he was now. elected in 2013, actually. 13. Yeah, because well, so I was in, even I was in school. I was in high school. My my, my Baptist LA teacher was like, "Hey, uh, Pope, he was reading the news in class. I don't know why. He was like, "Hey, uh, since I was a residential Catholic in the class, he's like, "Hey, um, Pope Benedict resigned. What does it mean?" And I went, "What?" <laughs> Yeah. I went, usually this doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. You're yeah, like the only like, Catholic in the and class. Then I remember and the like, two, I remember Jordan. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, oh, uh, I guess I'm suddenly I became EWTN and Catholic Drive Time all in one. No, and then I remember going home and I remember I was sitting in my I was in my living room when I saw Francis had been elected. And uh he's from Argentina. So I remember messaging uh we had an Argentinian or Argentine foreign exchange student. And I remember messaging her about it and also just kind of looking at Pope Francis and going, huh, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. He doesn't have a beard. So that's already strike one. (laughs) (laughs) Was it, maybe it's a census fidelium thing. Cause if you, if you had a question mark and I had a question mark, I don't know, man. I don't know. There might be something there. It's just, it was just so uncertain. And then like learning about it. And of course, like, you know, it's so funny, right? Because I, I, I feel like with Benedict, and again, we weren't trads at the time, so it's tricky, but I, we've talked, obviously we, we are now, we've talked to a lot of them. Um, you know, there are some people who are very vehement against any post-conciliar Pope. I don't think we really hang yeah. around in circles quite like that, but I feel like trads really genuinely, and maybe because of our fraternity and even society circles, I, you know, I know, and like, I think people generally were just fond of Benedict. Like he just felt solid, you know? Like, yeah. obviously, we're not we're not in the preconciliar times. And, you, you know, there's a there's a little bit of peace that has to be made just for the sake of pragmatism in your mind. Um, exactly. But as far as Pope was concerned, Pope Benedict, it didn't feel like the rudder was again, was going astray whatsoever. It felt like in fact, it felt like things were actually getting better because there was more of a voice for traditional Catholics. Um, he and I, I'll say this. One of my favorite things Benedict ever did, I think one of the smartest, one of the old popish things he ever did was welcome back so many Anglicans with the Anglican ordinary. Mm. I think that that was, that was the, one of the smartest, shrewish, shrewdest, most papal things ever happening because the Anglican church was going crazy over uh, issues of abortion and gay marriage and all these kind of uh, women yeah. uh, bishops and these sorts of things. I mean, really, really, and it's hemorrhaging, obviously. And I threw I a life, opened- uh, a life uh, preserver out there for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Allowing for their married priests to come over. Like it was just, it was brilliant. I mean, and I've been to the England Ordinary at Mass. I think it's a incredibly beautiful, very moving liturgy. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that Pope Benedict had that kind of that old fashioned popery to do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stir the pot here a little bit, Jordan. Do um, it. There's a trend for the post conciliar popes to be canonized. 
Uh, I've I've heard arguments on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Some would say if you look at the at the chronology of the popes, you know, there have been times where there were a lot of canonizations for a particular period of time, and then, you know, if you view it from that lens, it's completely normal that this amount of popes have been canonized. I've seen the other uh, opposite end of that argument where it's. You know, obviously, they are trying to canonize the council. They're trying to solidify and give it some sort of authority, which obviously it does. But to give it more of like um, a positive legacy, uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think that uh, Pope Benedict will will go into the uh, be be lifted up into the altar, or <laughs> do you think they might pass him off and then kind of completely destroy that argument there? Oh dear, yeah, that's kind of funny, right? And I wish I was. This is this is where the cynic in me is going to be exposed, right? Because we are still Catholics <laughs> under the reign of Francis, uh, as far as we're all concerned. Uh, I should remind everybody before I give this comment that there are saints who have supported anti-popes before. So if you're one of those Benny Plenis out there who is freaking the heck out, uh, don't worry. Uh, we're not going to beat you over the head here at the Glad Tribe podcast. We encourage you just to live and know and love your Catholic faith. <laughs> so that being said, um, so if the idea of a canonization is demonstrable proof that somebody's in heaven and you have anybody die in a state of sanctifying grace and we can we can demonstrate this often through the miraculous right and through investigation then i have no issue even with complicated the legacies of complicated people uh to, to call them saints they might not be my my household saints but i i whomever the church declares a saint i readily and happily believe it to be so even if if my human legacy of them is complicated, because I think the mm. alternative is a little dangerous. I don't want saints to be saints just because I like the person. That being said, um, I also am a huge believer in cultuses. And I, I think that part of the problem today is that we're so quick on elevating everybody and anybody um, without just giving a little bit of breathing room that uh, that we've lost. Obviously, we've lost a lot of the process. We should do an episode on the changes to of the, the canonizations just because so, people don't know that. Right. They don't know about yeah. the, the leaving of the devil's advocacy position and these sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. This is all a really long winded way to say that I, I think that they're going to try for sainthood with Benedict pretty quick. Um, it might be easier to, to demonstrate. I mean, if they can get the miraculous down or whatever, um, then then I'll accept it. Um, I'll happily be in his cultus. I mean, I think that I think that he he was a great man and a great lover of God on earth. I think that he really did genuinely uh, bring Christianity into the world in a dynamic way. And so, um, you know, at, at this point, obviously, we should pray for the repose of his soul. And then one day, maybe I'll start to really like, you know, lean on on his intercession. And if he's not yet in heaven, then those prayers will be distributed as God kind of sees fit. So there's no there's no false thing. I don't like the this is the tricky thing. I understand how there's a lot of politicization about canonizations. Um, And this is why I think the cultus and even the demonstration of cultus kind of you know, there might be re- human reasons why you want someone to be a saint or not. I mean, they are, or they aren't. That's the nice thing. It's not really like, I don't just decide they either are, or they aren't. Um, so I hope that if Pope Benedict is found worthy to be, to be a saint as we, as we can demonstrate on earth, I hope that they're not trying to do this as an idea of, 
baptizing the council. I suspect the opposite would happen under Pope Francis because I'm a cynic. Uh, I suspect that by by doing this to Pope Benedict so early on, suppose that Francis really gunned for it, which I, I don't think he would. But anyway, the reason why is because I think that that would baptize a lot of Pope Benedict's legacy. And if the legacy is to stem the a lot of the council and to and to put a screw the head back on the Catholic church a little tighter, mm. thank God. Yeah. Um, then I feel like you can't help but suddenly rush to the writings of a holy saint such as Samorum Pontificum and God is love. And you might realize that that sort of writing is not in vogue in the church of 2022. Uh, so <laughs> I, I hate to be such a political cynic about the church like that, but um, but that's that's kind of the stock of where we're at. That's honestly what I see sometimes. So, you know, I think that's a fair assessment. That's such a good point, you know, because it is in a, in a way very contradictory to the direction that uh, that the Holy See seems to want to take the church by uh, laying down the banhammer on tradition. Uh, it would be counterintuitive to uh, canonize somebody who would want to bring tradition back, who actually tried to to give a little bit more freedom to traditionalists, which is uh, such a good point. Yeah, maybe maybe they won't canonize. Them. Who knows? But uh, I thought it was interesting to bring up because, you know, uh, there's, I mean, like I said in the beginning of the video, there's going to be all kinds of discussion about Pope Benedict. I mean, we're barely touching the surface on mm -hmm. most of the topics we're talking about right now. But there's other people who are are more uh, involved in his life, and and they'll say things like that, like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna canonize him to canonize the council. Well, that's that's uh, probably not going to happen. Yeah, I, I also don't know if that's that's a particular with Pope Benedict. Would you say that's a particular even accurate assessment? He's not he's not Paul the Six, you know, and he's right. not John Paul the Second. To be fair, so I don't know if like to to canonize Benedict would be like aha, see now the Second Vatican Council is authoritative. I'm like it seems to me like he he was pretty clear about there are some serious problems. I mean, look at his reconciliation, his attempted reconciliations with the society. I mean, the fact mm -hmm. that he even opened that door in the first place suggests something is not all right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, actually, you know, if you listen to the uh, the SSBX podcast, they talk about how they talk a little bit about the history of Sumorum Pontificum. And they say that it was a direct result of that uh, trying to, to meet each other halfway. It was one of the, the prerequisites the society had was for them to actually for the Holy See to address this question. And that's how Sumorum Pontificum came mm. out, according to them. I think it makes a little bit of sense, to be yeah. honest. You know, uh, aside from being a, a society sympathizer, I think it makes a lot of sense because, again, it just goes back to what we mentioned in the previous video is, is this traditional question. The question of tradition is still unanswered since the 70s. And uh, and and so there's there's still people who are trying to, to make sense of it, us included. But that is is the driving force, I think, between the Holy See at the time, Pope Benedict and the society to try and reconcile this question. What about the traditional Latin mass? What about the patrimony of the church? I had a conversation with a friend while I was back at home in California. And we were talking about this, you know, like, well, well, what is it? Is it a liturgical question? Is it a question of, uh, of uh, faith and morals? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and we're still in a situation now where for the very first time in probably the history of the church, and people can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but in the history of the church, there's never been 
such a vast, such a fast, almost overnight change in the liturgy, like we've experienced with the Novus Ordo Missae. It's, 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 un, it's uncommon. I made the example to my friend who uh, is very, uh, very nuanced. Um, and, and that was surprising to me. Uh, I made the example of, of the tree, right? There's a, another person who, who created this example. Uh, he was in the Mass of the Ages episode two episode. And he made the example of the tradition of the church as being a tree. You know, the tree, it, it grows its branches, and that's an organic development. Sometimes the branches need to be pruned for the health of the of the tree, and so they prune them. And so there's been liturgical changes that have happened that aren't around anymore. But if we're to look at the changes from the the previous, the, the mass of, of the ages to the Novus Ordo Missae, it would be as if the tree overnight sprouted a giant shoot. That just doesn't happen. That has never happened, and uh, and now we're we're supposed to think that that shoot is actually the tree instead of the <laughs> the foundation that holds mm. the branch. So uh, it was an interesting conversation, and now that uh, that Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, that has passed away, that seems to be like a little a weird uh, closure to that conversation that I had in uh, in California. But uh, wow, I, I don't know what a, what a legacy for a man, you know. Uh, it's it's so it's so strange to think about that, you know. Uh, we we've now lived through two popes. Like I wonder how many people, uh, how many popes uh, people uh, experience in their lifetime, you know. Like my grandmother, like how many popes did she live through? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's it's uh, an interesting question now. Well, it's, it's amazing, right? And it, it's, there's so much to it. Like, I wish I had met him. I really do. I I'd had a feeling that if I had the chance to, I, I, I should have, I should have taken a pilgrimage to Rome earlier and just like hung out, you know, but have you been to Rome? No, not yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I COVID happened. I couldn't go. <laughs> they wouldn't let me. Was in. that your honeymoon idea? No, I mean, it was, I think we decided pretty early on we were going to stay in Colorado and save the money, but we wanted to make a pilgrimage. We want to make pilgrimages. And so yeah. I just thought when the world shut down, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get back into Rome. I'm not jabbed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I love, I love exactly what you said there. And I feel like, you know, again, Benedict, it's tricky. It's tricky. And I think that, again, this just reveals part of, I love how you, what you talked about with closure and, and, you know, a bit of tapping into the traditional question, it's not been solved. And, um, and Benedict was not going to be the Pope to solve it. I think that he, I think he made an honest attempt, um, at least in some juncture. Um, and I think that will, that was a very good and noble thing for him to do. Uh, however, uh, this question is going to persist until we get a Pope who, who is um, certainly a little bit more in, in our camp, I suppose, one that at least is going to look at the council and look at it in a very different way. Probably a Pope who's been farther removed from the council than our previous ones. I mean, that's just the reality mm -hmm. of the matter. One that's lived more in the legacies of the fallouts, right? One whose priesthood may have started more in the 70s than in the 60s or the 50s. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I think that there's a lot of Catholics who are kind of mad that Pope Benedict didn't go farther. Um, and maybe he should have, right? It's not saying that this is wrong, but you know, they look at 
what he asked the society and the society was like, well, we're not doing that because we have these like three objections here in the documents until these things are released. We don't know what this means exactly. Um, if anything, I think a good thing about Pope Benedict is that he obviously demonstrated that the Society of Pius X is Catholic. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that this is still some strange question. I just watched a, a very a popular a Catholic YouTuber come out on a video talking about how the society isn't Catholic. And I thought, my gosh, are we still doing this in 2022? Like, <laughs> like, like, so there's more are, interesting questions to ask about the society. Other than that, it's, it's just a disingenuous. So and like, I don't want to like get on the society with talking about Benedict too terribly yeah. much, but I do want to make this quick aside, which is just in a world and Pope Francis to just continue this, which is um, God be praised uh, with Pope Francis in this regard, because it's like the fact that we have confessional and marriage grantings casually, uh, this is not something that's extended to the Orthodox fun fact of the day. Right. So there's, yeah. this isn't, this isn't advanced to schismatics. I don't know why this is a weird question. Um, um, who is it? Bishop uh, Anthony Schneider is so right in his book talking about this. Like it's obvious, right? Anyway, yeah. my point being is this, I, I find that with Pope Benedict, um, you know, I think that he, again, I talked about the reform of the reform movement earlier, this idea that, that, and this is how I kind of grew up. It was like, well, the council was good. The end, LOL. Uh, trademark but but the council <laughs> went too far and and you kind of get this idea now i think obviously the that uh traditionalist custodians killed the reform the reform movement because it was like well we just need to kind of take the spirit of the council and match it more to the letter of the church which is why pope benedict did something which once upon a time as rudy talked about was pretty slow and changing which is that pope benedict changed the missile uh which has gone through therefore two revisions in our lifetime because uh, you remember uh, when we used to say in the Novus Ordo, right, the Lord be with you uh, and also with you, I think mm-hmm. it was, and Pope Benedict mm-hmm. moved it back to what the Latin translation is, which is end with your spirit, which is much deeper, right? Uh, the Bringing back the, the mea culpa, um, I, you know, it's so funny, I can't even remember how some of these old things happened in the Novus Ordo, isn't that crazy? Uh, <laughs> Catholicism was serious under Benedict, it was getting a little more serious under Benedict, and I appreciate that. And so, you know, a lot of my admiration for the man comes from from his writing, certainly as a theologian. There's a lot more writings of his I want to make. What was that fantastic? It's a very long work that he did. Is it not Jesus of Nazareth, but do you remember what it's called, Rudy? It's like that like that tome of his on Christ. Um, Bishop Barron talks about it all the time, and I've not read it, but like I hear I, I think it is I think, think it's great. I think it is one of the books I think is called Jesus of Nazareth, or mm. it might be the whole series, but it's a series of books. I think it's a trilogy mm. um, that is considered to be very good. Uh, I don't actually own it, but I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll, now that Pope Ben, now that we probably should buy up all his merch so that when he becomes a saint, we can just sell it. So <laughs> <laughs> I do want to, I do want to bring up one final thing and that's Rudy. Have you seen that one video? And this is, this is how, you know, uh, he was a force for good far more than he was for ill that video of him landing back in germany as pope and how those bishops and those cardinals treat him do you remember that video oh yeah i do remember yeah he's uh walking out of the airplane he's trying to shake hands with his bishops and some of them just completely don't reach out It, it would be it would be for example just to give you a visual uh you could look at the video or jordan you can put it in there but he extends his hand and they just ghost him and it's just so embarrassing and 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 it makes you feel so i don't know puts a knot in your stomach to see literally the vicar of christ on earth 
being ignored by his subordinates. If that were me, I would have a serious conversation with those bishops. He probably knew. He probably knew what oh, knew. what their objections were with him. But uh, you know, if that were me, and I think this is this is uh, one of the things that will prevail for me, like you mentioned, Jordan. If that were me, I would have I would have gotten rid of those guys. Not because they don't have allegiance to me, but to be because they don't respect the office. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, I fall into that camp sometimes of thinking, why didn't he fix the church? Like we we're sitting here thinking about this, right? We're talking about his legacy, and we're seeing the uh, just the fallout of of what's going on in the church, and we're thinking this guy had the keys. Whatever whatever he bound on earth would be bound on heaven in heaven. He had the the keys. He had literally the steering wheel. And you think, why? Why didn't he fix it? Why did he step away? I'll never know. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll never know. Uh, what I I know for certain is that we still have the fallout, and we have to suffer it, suffer it well. But uh, yeah, I remember that uh, that video. It's it's heart wrenching. I also remember another video. Um, it was, uh, I think it was at youth day, world youth day or something in, and he comes out and he's just smiling, or I think he returns from world youth day and he's having a, an audience with, with young people. And he gives this very solemn blessing and, and the, the joy that he was radiating. I I'll, I'll never forget that. That was, uh, there was something that, uh, there was a, a sense of papal, pomp and grandeur that I had not experienced yet. Mm. And I don't think we're going to experience anytime soon. Yeah, that's completely true. I absolutely well said, man, I just, I think about those little red shoes you wore. I remember people making such a big deal out of it, that little red <laughs> The Pontifical red shoes. Uh-huh. It's so funny looking back on your own development as a Catholic. I remember when you first started and I was young, right? But I came from a very Pope John Paul II kind of house. And so it took a second for everyone to kind of warm up. I remember not really reading him or much into, into high school. And then I got a little older and I learned a little bit more about my faith. And I remember the first time really looking at him and going, I like this guy. I used to be like, eh, whatever, like, you know, popes are popes. But no, I was like, I genuinely like this guy. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm understanding my faith deeper through the Pope. And I'm always really skeptical. I don't want, you know, the 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 papacy is our, you know, is such a high teaching office of the church it ought to be it ought to be housed by men who love the lord and are also competent in the faith obviously um it shouldn't be the only place catholics go for most of history catholics haven't need to worry about who is or who isn't the pope because it wasn't their expression of the faith and i'm a huge believer in getting back to that sort of root but it was nice it was it was yeah. good you know i mean it, there's if you, it sounds so almost trivial to say but it was it was a bit of an era of good feelings and i think that even if things weren't as as uh extremely rioted as we wanted them to be pope Benedict didn't come out and go okay you know what the three points of society are completely correct and the novus ordo is insufficient and blah blah blah, blah right like he never would have done that anyway um but we could tell that there was more dialogue and we could tell that that there was clarity and maybe that's the biggest thing that i'm missing i remember when pope francis was elected and he he did laudato see and i remember i was in the the parker walmart parking lot when laudato C came out i was in college and i remember googling on my phone it was dark at night and i was just like are papal encyclicals binding on the faithful 
because I'm reading <laughs> stuff and I'm just like, I don't think that's correct. Like, I don't think I've never heard that before. I don't believe in ecological sins. But and then all the, you know, the Pope explaining came. And so one thing very early on, I realized is I was kind of listening to my last days of Catholic answers and these sorts of things and listening to uh, poor Jimmy Aiken have to somehow twist his arm to get uh, to get something that Pope Francis said to be orthodox and watching Patrick Coffin left, which is was a huge reason I became a traditionalist because he was one of my favorite voices there. And then one day he just wasn't there. And I started listening to a show. Um, I realized that with Pope Benedict, there was no such thing as a translation error, an out of context gaffe. There was none of that stuff. In fact, the media didn't like him because Pope Benedict spoke like a Catholic Pope did. Uh, mm -hmm. He acted like a Catholic Pope. He wasn't, you know, the, the pomp and circumstance was just kind of organic. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't out there under every single Balticino with like the you know, papal throne, but like they really just they're like, oh, Pope Benedict saying more Catholic stuff. Uh, and that's a problem. And I was like, yeah, good that it is. Um, and I miss that because that is exactly how the papacy ought to be run. Kind of just doing its thing, uh, letting us fight our, our bishops and our priests here in the trench works and giving us hopefully some tools to really help us there. But but genuinely loving Christ and wanting to write more about Christ and get deeper into the mystery of the faith. Um, and I miss it already. Like that's that's my biggest thing. And what's interesting also is that he resigned, which again, God knoweth why we we won't know, and we've spilt a lot of thoughts over why and speculations, and maybe also seeing how the reign of Francis has gone has made us all the more <laughs> puzzled why he resigned. He prayed about that the wolves may not devour him, and I think that's something that we'll really have to sit there and explore because to be a pope is not uh, it's not a lap of luxury, even though it might look it to some people, and it's not all power, even though sometimes it looks it, but popes used to sign themselves as servant of the servants of god and to be a pope mm. to be a great pope truly means to serve god and and to do what what christ commands peter right to stretch out your hand and be led to places you don't want to go and i think that that's a lot of pope benedict's legacy i find that he is a man who would have been probably happy writing the rest of his life you know in some yeah. tucked up little part of germany and he was given the papacy and i think that he did a he did a tremendous amount of good with it a lot of mixed things with it of course and um i think that when he resigned he probably reckoned that he didn't have much to live and he was tired and that's okay to be in your 80s and to be tired uh but for whatever reason god kept him alive all the more mm -hmm. and and he wrote a little bit more and just kind of got to do his thing and so that legacy is an interesting one and one i really always think about quite a bit yeah, Jordan, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about this legacy, legacy, legacy. It just keeps coming up, this word for me. And uh, as far as I don't understand why certain things went the way that they did, it reminds me of, of my father, you know, because we, we undoubtedly look at our, our holy pontiff as, as, a, as a father, a father mm. figure. And I just, uh, I, I remember uh, thinking a lot, I still do, about my father's death. And I, I wonder sometimes, you know, like I've mentioned going through his, uh, his, his things and seeing things that, uh, you know, made me question a little bit about him, you know. And it's complicated. It really is. You know, when, when, you, when you look at this as a, a person dying, I mean, we're really complex, complicated individuals. And there's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of confusion, a little bit of a, of a question mark when it comes to remembering people's legacy. But you know what? 
I, despite all of those questions of experiencing, you know, my, my father passing away, I mostly remember him as the man that I loved. And I think that that's what we should remember Pope Benedict as the man who gave us Sumoris, Sumorum Pontificum, the man who uh, kind of pushed us to where we are now. And uh, may he rest in peace. Mm. That's beautifully said. Would you like to, would you like to lead uh, a closing prayer for, for the sure. prayers of a soul? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, amen. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May the souls of the faithful departed, and especially Pope Benedict, uh, rest in peace. Amen. Please pray for the repose of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. Habemos papam. God bless you. May I keep you. We'll see you on the next one. Adios.